When the Lord's Resistance Army came to our homestead, I was very scared. We heard that they had begun burning homes in the next villages. We knew that we couldn't stay in the huts anymore. My name is Olive Aneno. I'm from Mochwini, a small town in Kitkum district, Uganda. I felt very helpless most of the time, hiding from town to town and sleeping in the forest and walking long distances with no shoes. My grandfather keeping on saying, you got to hold on, you got to hold on. God will never change. He's still God. I felt betrayed because the Lord's Resistance Army were composed of people that you saw in the community, children that you knew, some of them you grew up with. And here are the same people who come in the villages, and they're the same ones who are killing and butchering people. I just could not understand it. I felt like I was losing everything. Things changed for us when I became involved in the Compassion Program. It was my refuge. I knew everything was okay. Through the Compassion Program, we was able to get my first pair of shoes, get a mattress to sleep on, get the best medical care that I needed after having suffered from tuberculosis. I was also able to go to the best school. And all that started because someone believed in me. My life has changed only because someone believed that they could make a difference, that they could release a child from poverty. And I'm here only because Christ lives in me and Christ worked through my sponsors to transform me and to heal me. Compassion made it possible for me to be where I am today by giving me hope. I am a social worker right now in Georgia. I work with a lot of children that have uh, severe and emotional behaviors. It's a challenge, but looking back at the experiences that I've gone through, I look back and say, this was what I was meant to do. My name is Olive Aneno and I am a life changed. Happy Sabbath. It's a blessing to be here and it's a great reminder of my journey every time that I share of God's faithfulness in my life. I was born to a Muslim father and a Christian mother and I was born when my mother was in nursing school. And my mother kept that a secret from my maternal grandparents, who were Anglican pastors. I remember at the age of one month, my grandparents traveled on a bicycle to pick me and Juliet up. So when they picked me and Juliet up, we went to live in our homestead. And our homestead was comprised of five huts that were shaped in form of an ark. And right in the middle was the fireplace. The fireplace was a very important part of our home because that is where my grandfather would sit and teach the Word of God. By the time I was four years old, I memorized my very first psalm that later on saved my life. At the age of five, war broke out in our home, whereby they were abducting children and killing the parents. I remember we had to hide in the forest, we had to hide in the bushes to find safety. This happened for almost two years. I remember at the age of six years old, when I was hiding in the forest, I was wrapped around by a python snake. I began praying out loud, and Psalms 23 saved my life. I recited it and get to go to the end of it. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the snake and cold 
and left me. Now that moment, no one could take it from me because I knew the Bible stories that my grandfather was teaching me were not mere stories. It was truth. It was the Word of God. Things began changing whereby there was a lot of unsafe areas. And my grandfather sat down with me and told me, I do not want you to remember the past. I do not want to remember the bad things that has happened to you here. God has a different destiny for you. And with that, he put me on a bus. I traveled to the capital city, which is about eight hours away. Now, traveling in the bus was a very different experience whereby now we had to travel in a convoy. A convoy meaning that you have a line of about 30 vehicles that are going to come to the capital city. At the front of it was a, a truck with government soldiers on it. And then at the end of the line was also another truck with government soldiers. Now in the middle, other cars, and then behind the first vehicle was the bus. We had just traveled about two hours and we were ordered to stop. And when we stopped, we could just hear gunfires. One side was the government soldiers, one side was the rebels. I could remember the three Catholic sisters in that bus telling us to lay flat on the ground of the bus. We lay flat on the, ground of the, on the floor of the bus, and they encouraged us to say the Lord's Prayer over and over again. For three hours, we were just saying the Lord's Prayer. After the three hours, we were told to sit back up in the bus. All the windows were shuttered, but nobody in that bus was hurt. So for the next five hours drive to the capital city, it was total silence with nobody saying anything. And then I remembered when I got to the capital city, I saw my mother waiting for me at the bus station. My mother looked different. There was something different about her. She had rashes on her arms and rashes on her legs. She did not say much. She just asked me how I was doing and I told her I was doing okay. And we went home. Our home was a one-bedroom home. My mother stayed in the bedroom where no one else went unless you're cold. See, my mother was struggling with HIV-AIDS. And I recall my sister, my older sister, Juliet, would go in the room wearing gloves. And then when she came out, she would take the gloves off and put them in the trash. When my mother gave instructions, I knew it was very important. She told us that we were going to church. We were going to Kampala Baptist Church. And I remember that morning, we had to get up very early because it was a 12-mile walk. And so we woke up and we walked. When we got to the church, there were children playing everywhere, just singing, being kids. My mother told me to line up in one corner where the other children were lining up. I had no idea what to expect at the front of the line. When I got to the front of the line, they took a picture of me. They took a picture of me and they made a child pocket just like this one. They made a child pocket. It was my compassion child pocket. That was the very first time that my picture was taken. And my child pocket ended up in Sydney, Australia, at a church. And a family that was listening to someone share compassion just like I'm doing today, they got to the table and they picked my pocket. And they began supporting me with $38 a month. Then they wrote me my very first letter. 
My very first letter was my transformation letter because all the trauma I had experienced as a child, I did not know how to deal with it. I had prayed over it, but I still had so many questions about God and what I had done as a child to deserve such pain. The first line in my letter from my compassion sponsors was, we love you and we will do everything in our power to release you from poverty in Jesus' name. And they did exactly that. You see, my compassion sponsors were not a wealthy family. They were originally from Holland. My sponsor mom was born in Amsterdam. They later moved to South America. They got married in South America. And then they migrated to Australia. They have been married 45 years. My sponsor mom was a stay-at-home mom. She cared for her two children and two foster children. And my sponsor dad worked for the forestry department. Now, how did I know all that? Because of the letters that they used to write to me. They would send me birthday gifts, and I would write back, responding as to how I had spent the money. There was so much going on around me that I was looking for a constant, and the constant that existed in my life at the time was the compassion program and the wonderful letters that I received from my compassion sponsors. After being in the program for three years, my mother's health deteriorated, and her sister, Eudius, went to take care of her in the hospital. My aunt Eudius contracted meningitis while in the hospital, and she died. Now, my mother was left with no caretaker in the hospital, and she had to be released back home. When my mom was released back home, she didn't really respond any other way. She only responded in form of a song. It is well. It is well with my soul. And those were my mother's last words. My mother died of HIV AIDS. I was 11 years old. I was very upset. I was very angry as to why God was punishing me. What had I done at the age of 11 to deserve such pain? But God walked through my sponsors to give me the answers that I needed to hear. I remember we had to move back. We had to move in with our cousins. They were five and we were three. So we moved into a one-bedroom home. The oldest one was 16, Betty. We had struggles in that home as a child raising seven other children. But because of the church, because I was in the compassion program, the pastor would come at home and pray with us. We would have different church members come in and bring us food and just share stories with us and help us with homework and just be there to encourage us. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about poverty. The call is clear. We have to respond to care for those in need, especially the children. I remember writing a letter to my compassion sponsors and telling them that I had so much to do at home and I did not have enough time for homework and therefore I wanted to go to a boarding school. And they said, well, that is a good idea if that is what you want to do. So I went to a boarding school. Now, in Uganda, a lot of parents sent their children to boarding school because they get time to focus on academics. 
But also for me, it was a training ground because this school was a Muslim school. A Muslim school meaning that I had the opportunity to share my faith with some of my friends, my dormmates, my classmates. It was also in that high school that I picked up the sport of volleyball. I started playing volleyball and I got really good. By the time I got to high school, I was very good that we used to travel around the African countries. I remember in my junior year, I got very sick. I'd wake up in the morning and I'm fine, go to class, everything is okay. By the time it clocks about 4.35 o'clock, my temperature would spike up. And for about six months, they had no idea what was going on with me. I remember Uncle Stephen came at school. He's one of the compassion workers. He came and picked me up and then took me to Mulago Hospital. Now, when he took me to Mulago Hospital, he, uh, they did different tests and x-rays, and they found out that actually I had contracted pulmonary tuberculosis. I was very afraid because I knew that I was going to die, because I'd seen a lot of people die of TB. And then, of course, the communication between Compassion and my sponsors and then my church. My sponsors wanted to take me for treatment in Australia, but also it was very clear that they understood I needed my support, I needed my community support. And so I was admitted into the hospital. And when I was admitted to the hospital, the mornings were the hardest. The mornings were the hardest because sometimes I woke up and the next bed is empty because that person has died. The medication of tuberculosis is almost like going through chemotherapy because it drains you of everything that you have. And if you do not have the, the proper nutrition to help the medication work, there's a high possibility of death. I remember staying in that hospital, day after day, children dying. But I was so blessed because I got the medication and every day I got a balanced diet. And after one year, I was completely healed of tuberculosis. And that was only possible because God had different plans for me. God wanted me to go a different path that he had destined for me. And as I remember, being there with my teammates. And in the holidays, we used to practice. I went back to playing volleyball. We used to practice. And, uh, you know, there are different coaches that travel around the world recruiting. And the gym where we practiced was right next to a guest house. And there was a coach from the U.S. He lived in Florida. And he came and approached my coach and said, you know, some of your girls can play volleyball and go to school at the same time in the U.S. And he recruited five. And out of the five, I was one of them. I played volleyball at South Carolina State for four years. And after that, I began asking myself questions of what did I want to be? What did I want to be? I wanted to be a social worker because I had seen my grandmother caring for others and making sure children were okay. And that is one question that every compassion child asks. What do you want to be? And they do have wonderful, wonderful answers. I welcome you to watch a video of some compassion children about what they want to become when they grow up.
we asked children in our program, what do you want to be when you grow up? Since I was a small child, I've been interested in engineering. I'm that a doctor, and that not someone that never bang when Allah, doctors and cabby, never make you so. So, I'm going to be a police When I grow up, I wish I would be a new customer because to all people to hear news from all over the world. Yo soñé ese de grande maestra en la iglesia y soñé de ser azafata. La primera vez que vuele desearía ir a Estados Unidos. Cuando terminé la universidad, quiero ser arquitecta y ayudar a mi mamá y hacerle la casa que ella tanto quiere y sueña con eso para tener sus cosas y yo se la voy a regalar. Every child dreams of becoming somebody. When I graduated from college, I wanted to be a social worker. I was privileged to be offered another scholarship to do a master's program in social work at the University of Georgia. I did that, and after one year, I began working as a social worker. And then, after that, about nine years of social work, I went into public health. I graduated last year with another master's in public health. There's a reason as to why I chose public health. And for me, public health, I prefer the health education piece of it. I'm not so good at numbers. With health education, I do what we call the suicide prevention awareness. I work with the grant, Garrett Lee Smith Suicide Prevention Grant. And uh, Garrett Lee Smith was originally from Oregon. And he, um, he was 22 years old. His father was a senator. And he committed suicide in college. And he left a suicide note that said, put me in the ground and forget about me. And his father did the opposite. He introduced the bill, the Garrett Lee Smith Suicide Prevention Act, and later it was signed in 2004. So with this grant, I get to educate the community on suicide prevention awareness and mainly dealing, about, dealing on stigma and how we should all aware, be aware of what the other person is going through. I'm also a therapist. When someone that has attempted suicide comes out of the hospital, I'm the first person that they see. And I have the strength because all along, there are different people that poured into my life and prepared me for the journey that I'm on. About seven years ago, I had a son. His name is Felix. I remember I was very excited. His dad was very excited. He comes from a family of 17 children, and he's the last born. And Felix is the only male. All the other grandkids are girls. So he was very excited, very, very happy for this beautiful boy. At about six months, Felix was healthy, but I was not. I would stay in the house for about three days straight, 
I would care for him. I would give him food. I would change his diapers. I would hold him. But I was feeling empty. I had an emptiness that could not be explained. And when I talked to my family, they had no idea. They did not understand what I was going through. It's just one of those things that individual prayers is hard to resolve. Because sometimes when an individual is in pain, the brothers and sisters around, the community prayer is very powerful. But I stuck into that house. And then I remember, after about six more months, my son's dad was very worried about what was going on with me. At first he thought that it was maybe him, but there was, it had nothing to do with him. And so I was diagnosed with the postpartum depression. A word that did not exist in my culture. So it was very hard for me to explain to my sisters what I was going through. And then I remember being prescribed all this medication. There were days that I wanted to sleep and not wake up. And I remember I have these three special friends, Lara, Candice, and Aaliyah. They are wonderful friends. We normally call and text each other. If the other person doesn't reply, let's say for an hour there's no response coming, two hours, nothing coming, they will come to your house. And for me that day, there's this day, I felt so down. I got the bottle of psychotropic medication that I was prescribed, and I took the whole bottle because I did not want to die. I just wanted the emptiness to disappear. I just began praying to God to help me. And then I had all these texts coming from these three friends of mine, and I didn't respond. Before I knew it, they were at my door. They were like, we are going. You are going to see a doctor right now. We left, and we went to see the doctor. And from there, I realized that even if spiritually I was strong, I still needed the support system around me. Because what I was going through was something that was not familiar. I, I, began, I talked to my compassion sponsors. I talked to mom, and she began telling me and praying over me. I remember her asking if she could come from Australia to Georgia. I told her, no, mom, I'm okay. She constantly sent me messages of prayers. And these three friends, the support system, really was great for my recovery. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you that the number one preventable thing, death, that we have in our community is suicide. And it affects everyone, each and every one. And yet, it's preventable. It can just take a special question like, how are you today? How are you doing? And I know there are many of you that have been to events. You have been to churches and nobody has talked to you. Let us get into the habit of fellowshipping together, of knowing how the next person is doing. Even if you're in class, how are you? How are you doing? That is enough. I am here 
because that very moment, the very seed that was planted in my life is the same seed that continues to grow because I've had people along the way that watered that seed to mature. I'm happy to be here and blessed to tell you that when God sent his son to die on the cross for me as a sign of grace, it's the same Savior that died on the cross for my sponsors and for you. My sponsors extended the grace that they got through Christ to sponsor me and transform my life. And then they taught me the same thing. I extend grace to others. I sponsor three children. They are from Dominican Republic, Ghana, and Uganda. And the same children are also talking about sponsoring other children when they grow up. Because no child should live in poverty, especially, especially spiritual poverty. The physical poverty, World Food Program can meet that, right? But the spiritual poverty, not having faith, no hope, no grace, no love. When someone lacks that, it's very painful. And it's a gap that is very hard to fill because the devil uses that to destroy children. But we as a church can come together to change those lives and respond to God's call. When I was about four years old, my grandfather taught us and along the way directed us to teach our children and the children to come the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it is in my language. And my son learned that when he was about two years old. And I'll pray over you in a minute. But I would like to invite anyone that is considering sponsoring a, sponsoring a child today, if you could please stand so I can pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you are already a Compassion Sponsor, please stand as well. Thank you for taking the call to change the lives of children. Because it is these very same children that will care for us when we are older. And also, those that are not sponsoring, I encourage you to support those that are standing up. It doesn't have to be out of this world or out of this continent. It's within your communities that you can also make an impact. And now I would invite everyone to stand as I, I say the Lord's Prayer over you. As I invite the quartet back. Let's bow our heads and pray. Kilega po wanwa, wanamati polo, new bed maleng, ke merobin, gin my miro kiti we lobo, my chalo kiti we polo, mi watin chame watin, gon bal mewa, my chalo wan gonjo mabala botwa, pete wan yomotrin, and tailawa botaraj, pian ke kidit kideo, bed mary, nina mapotum, amen. Thank you.